Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs radio show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in conversation by tweeting at beyond underscore headlines. That's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. On today's episode, we'll be talking about ODSP and medical assistance in dying, or otherwise known as MAID. There are current... There's currently inadequate funding and support for people living with disabilities in Ontario through the Ontario Disability Support Program. An overwhelming majority of ODSP recipients live in poverty with access to affordable housing and affordable healthcare being out of reach for many. This problem is coupled with the expansion in 2021 of the eligibility for Canada's medical assistance in dying, which has seen increased rates of applications from those struggling under Ontario's system. There has been much concern over the potential future expansion in March of this year, and our first guest, Mike Schreiner, a member of Provincial Parliament and leader of the Ontario Green Party since 2009, will be speaking to us about the recent trend and what can be done about improving ODSP. Our second guest, Trevor Manson, outlines the work done by the ODSP Action Coalition, of which he is Secretary Co-Chair, and the challenges faced by those who rely on the group and their advocacy. Our first guest is MPP Mike Schreiner, leader of the Ontario Green Party since 2009 and the first Green MPP elected to the Ontario Legislature in 2018, an office he still proudly holds today. Growing up on a farm, Mike was instilled with a passion for protecting people, animals, and the planet at a young age. At Queen's Park, Mike works across party lines to zealously advocate for climate action, income equality, transparent leadership, healthcare initiatives, affordable housing, and much, much more. In his time there, he introduced bills to cap Ontario's carbon emissions while making reporting on yearly emissions numbers mandatory. He pushed to eliminate sick notes, conserve drinking water, and get big money out of politics. Mike passed Ontario's first ever green law in 2019, which protects electric vehicle drivers by making it illegal to block electric vehicle charging stations. Today, Mike will be joining us to talk about an issue that has been making several headlines and one in which he knows very well and that is the issue of ODSP poverty and the ODSP recipients seeking out MAID. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you, and thanks once again for for joining us on the show today. Just to get the ball rolling, I want to just start off with asking you to talk to us a little bit about how ODSP actually works, what's the payment like, uh, what's the eligibility looking like, and is it different for, for different people? Yeah, so uh, I mean, first of all, uh, ODSP rates in Ontario are cruelly low, um, forcing people to live in legislated poverty. Uh, so even after the Ford government brought in a five percent increase uh, for a single recipient of, or for ODSP recipients, a single recipient uh, still only receives uh, slightly more than twelve hundred dollars a month, and that's broken down into. Um, a shelter allowance and a, and a, and a living allowance uh, broken down about 700 for living 500 for shelter. Um, but if you think about it in, in Toronto, you know, the average one bedroom apartment is well over $2,000 around 
you know, $2,400, depending on, you know, which estimate you look at, mm-hmm. even in a community like mine uh, in Guelph, it's uh, one bedroom apartments averaging around $1,900 a month. So imagine trying to live on $1,200 a month uh, and still be able to put food on the table, uh, pay for your basic expenses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, people with disabilities oftentimes have additional expenses that, uh, people without disabilities just don't face. And, and there are programs that, that uh, ODSP recipients can apply for uh, to, you know, help with some of those additional expenses. But, you know, each level of red tape uh, that a person has to go through to receive benefits uh, creates barriers to accessing those benefits. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I've been a strong advocate for ending legislated poverty in Ontario by doubling ODSP rates uh, because of the human and social costs of forcing people to live in legislated poverty are simply too high. So is it uh, different for those who are still able to work versus those who are unable to work? Yeah, so the one thing that the government has recently done in the fall economic statement, which is something I was strongly advocating for, was increasing what's known as the the work allowance. Uh, So an ODSP recipient uh, prior to these changes was allowed to earn up to $200 per month before their benefits would start being clawed back. Uh, And so that has increased to $1,000, which makes a lot of sense to me because for those folks who who, um, are living with a disability and, and able to integrate employment into their lives, um, not penalizing them for that, I think is a good thing and enabling people to be able to supplement their income up to a thousand dollars a month before you start seeing ODSP benefits clawed back makes a ton of sense. Uh, that being said, there's thousands and thousands of people across the province whose disabilities are so severe that they're unable to work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, it infuriates me when, you know, the premier for get up and say, well, you know, we want to get people off of ODSP and into the workplace. And the solution is, is a job. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everyone I know with a disability wants a job, <laughs> but not everyone is able to, um, is able to work and not all workplaces accommodate people with disabilities. Right. And, and so uh, that's why I think we as a society have a moral obligation to ensure that people with disabilities do not live in legislated poverty. And that's mm-hmm. exactly why we need to double ODSB rates. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also not to mention those on disability who are caregivers and who have children or absolutely. Um, uh, elders. In my previous role, I've heard countless stories of ODSP recipients living in poverty, unable to afford these basic life necessities. And this wasn't just in Ontario, too. I mean, this was um, I've I've heard from people in in Alberta as well. And in the past year, we've seen an increase in the number of applications to for medical assistance in dying, not because of their physical conditions, but because these recipients just can't really can't afford to live. They, like you said, they can't afford to live in their homes and buy groceries and and access these social services. Um, for example, I, I have some some anecdotes here as well. Someone like Amir Farsoud, a 54 year old man in St. Catherine, says, "I don't want to die, but I don't want to be homeless more than I don't want to die." And for Farsoud, the waitlist for affordable housing is seven years. 
And another story, Richard Ewald says he's not suicidal and wouldn't be doing it if he wasn't so stuck in this situation with ODSP. And in my opinion, I think this is an egregious issue that is 100% preventable. Uh, I know you already talked about doubling the ODSP rates, but what more is there to be done to to combat this issue? Because it's quite an intersecting one as well. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There's a lot of intersecting issues. Um, and I think the the two most important to address, uh, well, I'll say three actually, but the two I would put at the top are um, ending legislated poverty by uh, increasing uh, social assistance rates. And the second is ensuring that everyone uh, in Ontario has an affordable place to call home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a housing affordability crisis and yeah. you know we have a whole generation of young people wondering if they'll ever be able to own a home. What's going to solve the housing affordability crisis is to build homes that people can actually afford in the communities they want to live in, close to their family, their work, and their social support systems, which is critically important. Uh, Secondly, governments have to get involved uh, in helping fund especially deeply affordable housing. And that's why I was so proud the Green Party was not only the first party to proposed doubling social assistance rates, but also the first party to make a firm um, financial uh, commitment uh, backed up with a plan of how to pay for it to build 160,000 affordable housing spaces in Ontario, 100,000 that would be like co-op, nonprofit, social housing, and 60,000 permanent supportive housing spaces with wraparound mental health addictions and other supports. Uh, Because We know that stabilizing people's lives, um, housing and poverty are are intricately linked. It must be solved if we're going to um, provide just the basic necessities people need to ensure a quality of life and a stable quality of life. And then when I say the third on top of that is, is it gets to the wraparound supports. Like we need to ensure that people have the social supports they need, whether it's to address mental health concerns, physical health concerns, um, access to community and social supports. Uh, Because even if you provide housing and remove people from poverty, I mean, if they're living in isolation, that that, um, becomes problematic uh, for people as well. So ensuring that we end poverty, everyone has an affordable place to live, and that we have basic community and social supports that um, support people uh, to thrive. What's so infuriating is for me is, you know, the government, the the four governments rolling out the red carpet to turn millions into billions. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they can't find the funding to increase social assistance rates. They're unwilling to make the investments and the legislative changes that would enable municipalities to build truly affordable homes in affordable communities uh, where people want to live. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I just want to say to this government, like your priorities are so um, they're just so misplaced. Yeah. Let's put people, let's put average people, people with disabilities, um, ahead of a handful of wealthy land speculators. Mm-hmm. I guess on that note, 
I'd like to address a common argument that I hear whenever, you know, someone talks about increased spending for social services. So many people associate the increase in social spending with an increase in their personal taxes. So why would or wouldn't that be the case for the average Ontarian? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, there was a pre-pandemic study that showed that uh, poverty costs this province $33 billion a year. Uh, my guess is, is that number's higher now. It's a few years old. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when we fail to address poverty and homelessness in particular, um, the cost to our healthcare system, our criminal justice system, uh, our policing and first responders, mm -hmm. um, the stop gaps uh, that are inefficient use of money to you know fill in the cracks. Perfect example of that, I was in a meeting this morning um, where social service agencies were saying, you know, if we just have permanent supportive housing for people, the money we're currently spending just, just like on hotel rooms, for example, just to try to give somebody, you know, a place to sleep tonight because it's minus 20 degrees, it would be so much better spent um, actually solving the, the, the uh, mm -hmm. crisis by investing in permanent supportive housing. So by ending poverty, and ensuring everyone has an affordable place to call home, it'll actually save us money. Yeah. There's good studies showing that every $10 invested in permanent supportive housing saves $21.75 in other social services. So I would say to people, you're paying for that. You're, you're paying more in tax dollars mm -hmm. um, responding to yeah. the social and human costs of poverty than you would spend if we actually made the investments to end legislative poverty in the first place. In the short term, yes, it would cost a bit more money to make those investments, but in the medium to long term, we would actually save money. Yeah, so uh, way cheaper, and this applies to any aspect of life too, way cheaper to invest long-term proactively than it is to, to just be in a strictly reactive position. Yeah, and people are experiencing the stress of this uh, not only in their tax dollars, but also in overcrowded emergency rooms, yeah. uh, police services overwhelmed trying to respond to crisis calls, um, downtown businesses complaining that, um, you know, their their customers have barriers to entering their, their businesses because of the number of um, unhoused people on, on mm -hmm. our streets. Um, the, the costs, it's not only a financial cost, it's a cost to our quality of life. And so we all benefit, like each and every one of us benefit when we make the investments to ensure that, that people are housed and that they're not living in poverty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess on that note, I mean, ODSP recipients and especially BIPOC folk are at the highest risk of food insecurity, mental health issues, homelessness, like you said, and, and much, much more. And we've already touched on the role um, that needs to be played by the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of, of Housing and uh, Municipal Affairs to address this intersecting issue. But is there also a role for the federal government as well? Well, I, I absolutely. I mean, the federal government absolutely has a role to play. And, and I, I think it's a two-part role. Uh, so, so one is, is the federal government has more fiscal capacity than the provinces. So you know, I'm a strong advocate in the federal government, increasing healthcare transfers, for example, 
I've been a big supporter of the federal government bringing in the Can Canadian uh, disability benefit, mm -hmm. um, ensuring that uh, when I say governments need to invest in in housing, that's the provincial government and the federal government. Both governments right. got out of investing in affordable housing in the 1990s, and the crisis has only been getting worse. So there's a huge role for the federal government to play. But I will have to say, in the case of Ontario, we then needed a provincial government yeah. who is going to match those funds, flow those funds to the people and communities that need them. Because one of the challenges we're facing in Ontario is even when the federal government, you know, makes funding available, the province um, is not always under the Ford government, uh, a partner in mm -hmm. delivering those funds and in matching those funds. So if the federal government's going to step up, and I believe the federal government does need to step up and do more, mm -hmm. we need the province to be working uh, with them, not against them, mm -hmm. uh, in, in delivering those funds and those supports for people in our communities. And then I would say that, um, you know, while I, I know you want to talk a bit about medical assistance and dying, um, you know, I have I have serious concerns that the federal government has expanded, um, you know, the definition of mm -hmm. uh, who's eligible or the yeah. criteria for who's eligible for for MAID. And, and I think that um, I understand that was driven by court decisions. And I say this as somebody who, um, you know, is, was a supporter of MAID. But when we start um, expanding the definition to include people with disabilities or mental health issues, mm -hmm. and then we don't provide the services and supports uh, for those folks to lead a, a high quality of life, yeah. then I think we're we're moving into uncharted territory mm -hmm. that's deeply concerning to me. And, and I know to a number of, um, you know, advocates for people with disabilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I remember even back when the first wave of eligibility expansion happened, I think that was 2021. Um, that the UN had actually expressed their concern over this expanded eligibility as well. And um, on top of that, the federal government is set to expand it to include people with mental illness as their sole medical condition as well, which, yes, I'm I'm sure is racking up quite the controversy as well. Um, what role is there for the public in this issue? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things people can do is to work with organizations like ODSP Action Coalition mm -hmm. uh, and other anti-poverty organizations who are strongly advocating for um, doubling of social assistance rates mm -hmm. and the anti-poverty and housing organizations that are really advocating for the kinds of solutions the Ontario Greens have been putting forward to address the housing affordability crisis. And, and, and I think it's so important for allies, uh, particularly of um, people with disabilities who are advocating, you know, not only for, you know, ODSP uh, rates to go up, but also just for accessible design standards. So housing's accessible to people of all abilities to ensure that our public infrastructure is accessible for everyone, mm -hmm. to ensure that the province meets its AODA standards to ensure that our, you know, infrastructure, our communities, spaces, uh, and, you know, are, are accessible to everyone. Um, we can't allow the burden of all that advocacy to fall on people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And people with disabilities, especially those on ODSP, uh, need allies. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're already 
living a life of incredible stress because you're being forced to live in legislated poverty, um, oftentimes you don't have as much energy yeah. uh, left to do the kinds of advocacy work that needs to be done. And so I think that's a really important role that allies can play. And, you know, I would just invite all your listeners, put pressure on this government, put pressure on conservative MPPs, help people with disabilities, organize protests and rallies to ramp up the pressure on this government. Um, because the budget's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. The spring budget will likely come out in March. And and I think we need to put a full court press on um, pushing the government to double social assistance rates because the 5% increase that they brought in is wholly insufficient. And then they said, we're going to bring in 5% and then um, connect it to um, the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, then people with disabilities will always live in legislated poverty. And that costs the province, as I've mentioned, far too much money, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of our finances. But more importantly, it costs the province, I think morally and ethically, that um, we would force people to live in in such um, just difficult and challenging circumstances. Um, because we want everyone, we want everyone in our province to have a decent quality of life and opportunities to thrive. Mm-hmm. I have one more question for you. How would social or how does social assistance in Ontario differ from the other pro- other provinces? And is there somewhere that we can look to for a successful model to be implemented here in Ontario? Yeah, well, you know, I would say if you look at social service, social assistance rates across the country, they're far too low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this isn't just an Ontario problem. This is a Canadian problem. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the cost of living uh, is much higher in Ontario compared to other provinces, yeah. primarily because housing costs are so much higher here. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is an issue that I think uh, Ontarians, but all Canadians need to need to really think about what kind of society we want to be. Mm-hmm. Are we going to build a caring Canada? And that's what I I believe in. Are we going to care for our neighbors uh, and, you know, the people who we share community uh, and, and citizenship with? And, um, you know, there are uh, other countries. I mean, I, I look to a lot of the European countries, especially the Scandinavian countries mm-hmm. that um, do invest more in eliminating poverty and addressing uh, housing affordability and, and, you know, those societies tend to have less crime, less mm-hmm. pressure on their healthcare systems, uh, lower levels of inequality. Uh, and so I think they're, uh, you know, a higher quality of life in community. And so I think those kinds of public investments, uh, you know, clearly improve the quality of life uh, for people living in poverty. And, you know, and, and today we're focused on, on people with disabilities, um, you know, living on ODSP. Uh, but but it improves the quality of life for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have thriving communities um, with high levels of quality of life. We all benefit from that. And, and so, you know, the, that's the kind of Ontario, Canada, uh, I want to live in is mm-hmm. a community that that cares for each other and takes, you know, like takes care of our neighbors. And, and, uh, and so, you know, yes, we can look to, to other countries to provide some better models. Mm-hmm. And 
oftentimes those better models um, may cost a little bit more for government, but actually cost society less. That concludes all my questions, but I just wanted to just say uh, thank you so much for being such a passionate advocate for these issues. Beyond the headlines, listeners, you heard from Mike, there's a lot of ways that you can help and and become involved in this issue. And thank you for the time. And uh, thank you for shining a spotlight on such an important public policy issue. Absolutely. Once again, that was MPP Mike Schreiner, who joined us for a discussion on the issue of ODSP poverty, or perhaps I should say legislated poverty, and how too many ODSP recipients are seeking out medical assistance and dying as a result. Just a quick reminder that Beyond the Headlines airs on CIUT 89.5 FM, which is a nonprofit community radio station. Your contribution is needed to enable Beyond the Headlines and all the other programs at CIUT to continue delivering these high-quality programs. Visit www.beyondtheheadlines.net slash donate and please give generously. This week, we have brought MPP Mike Schreiner and Secretary Co-Chair of ODSP Action Coalition, Trevor Manson, who are discussing the issue of ODSP and MAID. And now, back to the conversation. So... Beyond the Headlines listeners, Trevor Manson is our second guest on the show today, and he is the Secretary Co-Chair of ODSP Action Coalition, which is a province-wide volunteer grassroots advocacy group led by people with lived experiences of ODSP with a network of valued allies, including legal workers, disability and poverty-related NGOs, policy experts, healthcare professionals, and others who advocate for improvements to the income and other supports available to people with disabilities. The coalition was formed in 2002 following province-wide community consultations that found serious problems with the Ontario Disability Support Program, ODSP, on which many people with disabilities depend on for their survival. People on ODSP often face unfair stereotyping and discrimination as they struggle to deal with physical and mental disabilities. Each person's situation is unique, but what is shared is a life of poverty. Trevor started the ODSP application process in 2015 while an inpatient at Lindhurst Lindhurst Rehabilitation Center and was approved nine months later in 2016, around the same time he came across and joined the ODSP Action Coalition. Prior to his disability, he spent over 20 years in market research and was a semi-professional musician, drummer, for much of his life. Thank you so much, Trevor, for joining us on the show once again. Thanks, Maria. It's a a pleasure to be here. All right. So, Trevor, as the secretary co-chair and someone on on ODSP yourself, could you uh, tell us a little bit about the the kind of work that you do at the ODSP coalition? So, uh, for example, what kinds of people or organizations do you work with? Um, How do you guys lobby for change? And anything else that comes to mind? How do we lobby for change? We write, you know, we, we, we submit pre-budget submissions every time that a budget cycle comes up. We have a list of, of our ask, of our recommendations or demands, however you want to call them. And, you know, we try to educate the public on, on what's going on. And, and we're also part of a larger uh, collective, I guess you could call it, um, it's uh, called Defend Disability, that uh, the members of Defend Disability 
you know, we work very closely with um, ISAC, the Income Security Advocacy Center, who has been a very close partner of ODST Action Coalition from, you know, way before my time. Um, and, you know, there's people in Defend Disability, you know, there's legal workers, there's other uh, anti-poverty NGOs, I guess you could say, like Maytree, uh, Merchandise United Way, the Daily Food Bank, you know. So mm -hmm. ODSP Action Coalition kind of brings the lived experience voice to the table of Defend Disability. And, you know, we we come up with um, strategies and whatnot, advocacy pieces. We we submit, uh, like I said, we submit pre-budget submissions. Uh, we write letters to the government. Uh, we organize workshops and so forth that we help people to know their benefits and know their rights and so forth. Um, we also, you know, we we help we hold rallies in front of Queens Park. We had uh, in 2022, we had one in April and we had another one in, in November and, and we had one in September of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, the one that we did in 2021, we presented a report card, ODSP Action Coalition put together uh, a non-scientific survey um, that people could opt to opt into online, and we were able to collect over seven hundred um, responses respondents on that survey. And the survey was set up so it was kind of like we were grading the pop the province like a like a teacher uh, grading students, mm -hmm. um, you know, giving. Uh, a, letter grades on specific aspects of ODSP and and then we presented this this big report card at the end of it when we did the rally in in September of 2021 um, and you know of course the majority of the items on that list uh, were were an F uh, there were the highest grade that was given was a C and that was um, for um, if for people rating their uh, ODSP caseworkers, mm -hmm. which was good to see that, you know, like anything, there's good caseworkers and there's bad, you know, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Mm -hmm. um, we presented that report card, you know, and we just tried to, you know, everybody shares information in our network. We exchange ideas. We participate in you know, media outreach like we're doing now, mm -hmm. um, just anything we can think of, you know, to kind of get it out there that people on ODSP, people with disabilities, especially people that are unable to work, are living in legislated poverty. Yeah. And it's not right, you know, it's even with the 5% increase that the conservative government gave in September, um, you know, that was granted, it was very, um, it was remarkable. It was out of character for a conservative government to increase the social program. The last time that ODSP was increased by a conservative government, you'd have to go back to 1985 under Bill wow. Davis. That was the last time that, uh, you know, the 1.5% increase that the the province uh, gave uh, to the benefit rates when they came into power in 2018, 
you know, they were patting themselves on the back for giving a 1.5% increase that worked out to like 20 something bucks yeah. <laughs> a month for the average client. And the 1.5, it was actually supposed to be a 3% increase that was on the books from the previous liberal government. Mm-hmm. They left, they, they put through legislation that was going to have three annual 3% rate increases. So when the conservative government came in, they cut the first one in half. So we got a 1.5% increase and then they, they got rid of the other two increases. So that 1.5% increase, even though they were saying that it was an increase, it was really a cut yeah. from the yeah. proposed percent increase 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 rates uh in september of, of 2022 by five percent obviously five percent isn't enough yeah yeah especially um the, like there's such a clear link between between poverty and health and right now with our our mm-hmm. public health care system under collapse if not already collapsing uh, and food banks stretched thin and, you know, the lack of affordable or permanent housing. Could you share with us what that experience has been like? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, it, according to the Bank of Canada, their inflation calculator, if you look at that, uh, according to the Bank of Canada, um, a basket of goods and services that cost $100 mm-hmm. in 2018 now costs $114. Mm-hmm. So that's over a 14% increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 5% increase that was given in September never, it didn't even replace half of what's been eroded by inflation since 2018. Um, you know, it, with, with the stuff going on with healthcare right now and privatization and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does have a direct and indirect impact on people with disabilities. Um, you know, if, if the province starts introducing service fees, which they've already done, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, if, if your ear was clogged, uh, for instance, um, and you had to get your ear irrigated or whatever they do to, to, to clear the blockage, mm-hmm. OHIP used to cover it. Now it, OHIP doesn't cover that anymore. I think it, you have to go. You have to pay like thirty-five bucks or something if you go to get that done. Um, so you know, introducing these these little user fees here and yeah. there, it may not. It may sound insignificant to like maybe the mainstream majority, but mm-hmm. for somebody on ODSP, that thirty-five dollars could mean the difference. You know, between visiting a food bank. Yeah, that week are not visiting the food bank that week. You know, it's yeah. um, it's 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 not a good situation. That's for sure. Yeah, and honestly, this um, two-tiered healthcare system that we're seeing unfold is truly heartbreaking, in my opinion. I mean, I came across a tweet from, I think it was Jagmeet Singh actually, who said that the federal government gave the province about 775 million for surgical backlog and about 24 million of that went to the CEOs of the for-profit clinics and hospitals here in Ontario. And it's quite disappointing to see that we're well on our way to an American style healthcare system 
where the private system will be out of reach for the majority of people, especially those on poverty, of course, and they'll be left with the kind of the rut of the system, which would be the the public uh, healthcare system. Do you do you see this, I guess, affecting the work of the coalition at all or, you know, I guess just the community in general? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's really going to like change a lot of what we're seeking. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of another drop in the bucket of the the extra costs that come with living with a disability. Yeah, you know, sometimes people don't often realize that having a disability can be expensive. Mm-hmm. Not not. The medication that you're prescribed is covered under the Ontario drug benefit. Yeah. You know, and and it's um you know, I wasn't aware of, of the uh of those CEOs being gifted all that money from the federal government through the well, federal government. Uh sorry, I should probably clarify the federal government gave the province, like the Ontario government, uh, the transfers. And a lot of that money did not go to where it was supposed to go, uh, which yeah. is, I guess, just another, um, like it's you said, drop in the bucket. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's it's not really surprising, and you know they say that there's no money to increase yeah. ODSP rates. Yeah. But meanwhile, it, you know, if you own five cars. Yes, you know, you got like a five hundred dollar check from the government last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the recent mm-hmm. plates that were repaid to people, and then the government giving back billions of dollars yeah. um, from from uh, WSIB, you know, the workplace insurance. Yeah, it, you know, the the government is starving social programs of resources, mm-hmm. and it's leading to you know starting with the privatization of healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's also you know, privatization of employment services that have, has been ongoing since 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of started when the, the province decided to revamp, you know, the, the employment services transformation, that's called. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, and they're, they're putting out tenders for people or not people for entities to bid on. Um, you know, it started with three pilot areas with Hamilton, Peel mm-hmm. region, and uh, the Muskoka Kawarthas region. Mm-hmm. They put a sort of, you know, um, the city of Hamilton bid on that to become their own, they call it service system managers. Uh, the city of Hamilton bid to become their own service system manager they didn't win it uh it was it went to a company called fedcap which uh i believe is um an australian company or it might be american uh peel region went to a group called wcg which Mm -hmm. is another uh, you know not-for-profit entity so to speak um so it's like Municipalities are being outbid by private enterprise mm-hmm. to run their own employment services for people on social assistance. 
and you know they they collapsed everything together under one employment Ontario. There used to be a separate system for ODSP employment programs, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's all under one one umbrella. So it's just so the privatization of healthcare is just another competitive mm-hmm. uh, move that you know that is taking money out of public systems and putting it into quote unquote not for profit hands yeah. at times. You know, yeah. they say not for profit, but when CEOs are getting paid millions of dollars, how yeah. not for profit can it be? Yeah. Right? yeah. It yeah, this like what we're seeing is the results of when you're putting profits over people, uh point blank. And uh to your point when you said that the government does have money to spend on social services it's just a matter of political will and and like uh mike schreiner said earlier uh priorities yeah. misaligned priorities yeah. and it's it's quite uh defeating i i'd say for uh i mean i i obviously can't speak for you but i i'd say for for students like mm-hmm. myself who are trying to uh make a difference and and you know, do the opposite, put people before profits. It's, it seems, it seems mm-hmm. really defeating at, or defeating at times to, to do just that because it, it, it's like the weight of the world's against you almost. And so I applaud you and, and your organization for trekking through that and for, for not giving up hope. And um, by the way, beyond the headlines listeners there are plenty of ways to get involved and and to take action on this issue there's a lot of protests being organized like uh like trevor alluded to of course we have a lot of very valuable allies and people that we consult with that we um you know we hash things out and um so it's not like just us flying on the seat of our pants there's Hmm. a lot more to the sp action coalition than, than just a a Twitter page or a Twitter yeah. profile. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we're plugged into a, to a quite a vast network of of people that um, you know are sort of all looking for the same things to to alleviate poverty and and you know social justice issues. But going back, you know, they changed the asset limit to forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, it was after I already qualified for ODSP, so it missed me. But, you know, that was one of the things that we pushed for and we actually wound up getting, you know. So there are people might say, what's the good of you? What, you know, but there are, we do track incremental successes and we have to celebrate those, however small they may seem, we have Mm -hmm. to celebrate those those successes. Um, You know, but, Mm -hmm. you know, some of our, among our asks, we're still asking for, you know, to replace the the myriad of rate structures that are available to people on ODSB because, it, you know, depending on your living situation, you might get a different amount. Mm-hmm. For instance, you're homeless. Well, ODSP is divided into two pieces, right? You get basic needs, basic necessities amount, and shelter amount. Mm-hmm. Um if you're homeless, you do not get the the shelter amount. You only get the basic necessities amount. Wow. So try, you're trying not to be homeless, but they're saying, well, you can't have money. You can't pay for shelter until you have it. You know? Wow. It's, it's, you know, it's like I say, who comes up with this shit, right? It blows yeah. my mind. 
Seriously, you know, who does come up with this? And, you know, and people that, uh, you know, for instance, are in a room and board situation, like yeah. they call it a large, the, the large rate. So they would get less money because their meals are paid for. Um, you know, so we're, we're asking that, you know, we want a, a flat rate structure, it's mm -hmm. called, so that everybody gets the same amount. Yeah. Um, you know, combine the shelter allowance and the basic necessity allowance into one amount and just give them that amount. It's worth mentioning that the 5% increase that happened in September, um, if you are in rent geared to income housing or subsidized housing, Mm -hmm. You did not get the shelter amount increase because your shelters covered under rent gear to, gear to income. So a lot of those people didn't get the full 5% increase. They only got an increase to their basic necessities, which worked out to about, you know, $34. Yeah, penny change, penny change. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we want to get rid of that, you know, and it will also get rid of very intrusive questions about your living arrangement, who you live with, how much do they make, you know, it, because you're, when you're in a household with other people, it, you tend to get scrutinized very hard about who's paying yeah. the rent and how much they're paying. Yeah. We, we get rid of that. You know, and we'd like also like a, a major expansion of the Canada, Ontario housing benefit. You know, we were talking, we were talking about social housing mm -hmm. earlier. Um, you know, and eviction applications have accelerated. You see it in the news every day, people getting evicted yeah. and 10 cities popping up in every municipality all across, all across the province. Yeah. Well, all across the country, really. The problem, the, the, um, the, uh, the profitization of housing is just fueling this, yeah. the homelessness crisis. Yeah. And it's like we keep doing the same thing. Oh, Doug Ford wants to take a bunch of the green belt and, and build up 1.5 million houses. Yeah. Who's going to afford these houses? One of the questions I mentioned in the survey we did earlier, one of the questions in that was, what, what is the proportion of your income that you spend on rent every month? And out of those 700 respondents, the average was 66% of your monthly income went towards rent. But that included people that were in rent geared to income and subsidized housing, right down to people who paid 100% of their income on rent. And there were also people that responded that they were not currently housed, that yeah. they were coaching or whatever. Yeah. So we would like to see a major expansion of the Canada Ontario Housing Benefit, which is a portable benefit, which allows people to stay in the communities in which they have a support network built up around them over over years. For somebody to pluck somebody out of their community and put them way on the other side of town in a building surrounded by an industrial area and you're next to some subway tracks and, you know, the closest grocery store is a half a mile away and you don't know anybody. It's, you know, it's cool and unusual punishment. It strips people right. of their dignity and their, their, you know, their autonomy, their right to self, you know, self-determination. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can go on about the Social Benefits Tribunal and the backlog there now. The recent report that Tribunal Watch Ontario, um, who is uh, an ally of the coalitions, 
the recent report that they put out indicated there was over 9,700 backlog cases at the Social Benefits Tribunal. So these are people that are waiting, waiting for months, nine months, up to a year for a hearing. And they're, you know, because they were cut off. So these are people, you know, this is how people become homeless. Yeah. Waiting for a hearing that never happened. And the hearings are all the hearings are all digital first now. So they're all done over Zoom. Mm -hmm. So you don't have access to the skills required to, you know, interface with somebody on Zoom if you if you can't afford internet, which many people on ODSP can't. You know, you can't even go to your own hearing and it's just a mess what's happening at Tribunals Ontario. It's almost um, as if they're putting these barriers in place uh, deliberately, because uh, some of these just kind of go against basic logic, too, um, in my opinion. Like, for example, yeah. not not allowing um, someone experiencing homelessness to obtain the living allowance on ODSP is is just backwards logic to me, because yeah, yeah for for the reasons that I don't need to even go into. Um, but I just, uh, I have a few more questions and I did want to get into the topic of MAID, medical assistance in dying. Uh, I just have two yeah. questions on it. So um, in 2021, the federal government expanded the eligibility to MAID to include those whose death is not reasonably foreseeable. And already that, that uh, raised some controversy, um, rightfully so, I think. How do you, or, or I guess you could speak for the coalition as a whole, but but how do you or the coalition feel about this expanded eligibility to MAID? The coalition, we didn't really um, wade into the debate about MAID initially. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of advocates warning that this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And by this, I mean people living in poverty, applying for MAID mm -hmm. as an escape. Mm -hmm. um, and as the issue became bigger and bigger and more stories and more stories were coming out yeah. about it and about, you know, it, it comes down to, for the for ODSP Action Coalition, it, it you know, moral, moral sort of um, implications aside, for us, it really boils down to adequacy mm -hmm. and being provided uh, adequate resources in order to live a life with dignity. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's that the government would rather allow you to kill yourself with dignity, you know, to end your you life with dignity, dignity yeah. than provide you with the resources to live with dignity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Expanding it to mental health, I think the government makes needs to take a serious pause yeah. and look at this. Uh, we, you know, I'm I'm not a psychiatrist, obviously. I'm not a doctor. I, yeah. but from things that I read and so forth, that you know, mental um, mental illness can be be very sporadic and it can be very episodic. Mm -hmm. um, is in a severe state of depression right now. It doesn't mean that they're going to be in a severe state of depression one year from now. Mm -hmm. um, I I know people 
um, you know, personally that, you know, we're not even able to get out of bed for months at a time. And, and now they're thriving and they're flourishing. Um, advocates warned that this was going to happen. The government said, no, there's going to be safeguards in place. And now we're hearing stories about, um, you know, medical professionals sort of pushing the idea made on people. Um, you know, really? There was, uh, was a story not too long ago about uh, a nurse or a doctor that was, you know, pushing made on war veterans. Um, oh. Some stories that came up like that. And there was some, you know, um, that person that was doing that apparently is no longer employed as a healthcare worker. Yeah. <laughs> And I've seen um, videos, you know, we receive a lot of emails of the coalition, as you can very well imagine, people in various states of distress and despair. Mm -hmm. And we do our best recommendations. You know, we tell them that we're not qualified to offer legal advice, um, but we can point them to resources that, you know, that they may be able to help them and advocate for themselves. Uh, but yeah, with, with MADE, it, it is very disturbing. Um, and I'm not sure what the solution is. Mm -hmm. You know, what sort of things can be put in place so that people are not wishing to end their lives because they cannot be afforded a life to live with some what with some sort of dignity. You know, we Canada now has the most liberal mm -hmm. um, laws in the world when it comes to um, medical assistance and dying. Yeah. You know, and there's stories running in papers all over the globe about Canada. Look what Canada's doing. You know, yeah, yeah very, know, very huge, huge issue here in Canada. And I'm glad that you're that you're here talking to us about this because it really is important for our listeners as well. The most important thing that they can do, honestly, is put pressure on our current administration. Uh, reach out to your MPPs, your MPs. I'm, I'm still holding out hope. And I, I hope you guys are too, mm -hmm. especially being ASP recipients yourselves, doing all this advocacy work on the side is, it must be exhausting. <laughs> Hats off to, to all of you. I, I just have no words to describe, you know, the, the strength and resiliency you all hold. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's when people say, you know, why bother? We got a conservative government government with a huge majority. They're going to do whatever they want. You know, they've, they've uh, you know, I was involved in a meeting or the coalition was involved in a meeting uh, with other members of Defend Disability last year when we met, or in 2021, when we met with uh, Minister Fullerton. Yeah. And it was pretty clear that, you know, she really had no interest in anything we had to say. She has her talking points. She has her... Uh, her marching orders and and she's not going to bear from that right um yeah it's uh but but then when you look at it it's like well what's the alternative yeah shut up just shut up and do nothing yeah exactly I, yeah. you know i come from the corporate world and work in global companies uh, you know interacting with country managers all over the world mm -hmm. um so I'm kind of used to a very fast-paced sort of environment. Um, so it almost came like second nature. How can I use the skills that I've acquired mm -hmm. um, to some good? You know, um, I can, you know, it's 
it's not like I, I have to clock in and clock out. I do it on my own time, it, as as does every member of the coalition. You know, we all have our own personal situations that we have to deal with, and everybody's situation is unique to them. Um, but we all, uh, you know, we all do what we can, right? Like I said, what's the alternative? But, but I, I really appreciate your time, Maria. Um, uh, yes. Thanks for uh, thanks for allowing us the opportunity. Absolutely. And yes, once again, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your experience and your story and telling us what we need to do to, to get on this issue. Once again, that was Trevor Manson who joined us for a discussion on ODSP and MAID. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. That wraps up our show for this week. We were joined by MPP Mike Schreiner and Trevor Manson, Secretary Co-Chair of ODSP Action Coalition. Many thanks to them for coming onto the show to discuss the issue of ODSP and medical assistance in dying. Today's show was produced by myself, Maria Svetkova, alongside with my co-producers, Antoine Fougere-Ramsamouge and Jordan Agin. If you liked today's episode, please like and review us whenever you are listening. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, or the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. If you missed any part of the show, be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're a fan of our show or want to stay up to date with policy issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. You can also check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the hallways and onto the airwaves.